This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to Drinking with the Authors. Woo! There's a, a, an entire audience track that's now put on this. My producer found it, so I keep talking about it, but it's really funny to see it live. Um, okay, so we, um, Drinking with Authors, I'm your host, Erica Lance. With me today is... Vanessa Valiente. And our guest today is Barb Jones. Yay! Woo! Okay, let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking. So I am drinking... Um, ginger, I may have already had a shot, okay? Um, I, ginger whiskey in from one of our Drinking With Authors cups. We'll send you one of these, Barb. And it's mixed with Aha Sparkling Peach and Honey. Ooh, This is what happens awesome. when you're in COVID and you go into your fridge. This <laughs> That's what happens. Okay. Vanessa, what are you drinking today? I am drinking uh, Warsteiner. It is a German beer. I've never had it before, so I'll let you know how I how it is by the end of this uh, podcast, but yay. <laughs> okay, Barb, what are, what are you drinking along with us today? Water for right now until the beer finishes chilling. Ah, uh, yes. No, that's important. Warm beer is never a good thing unless mm -hmm. you're drunk enough not to notice. So yes. for the audience, can you um, tell them a little bit about what you write? Well, I write a variety of things, but my biggest series is the Blood Prophecy series. It's a paranormal thriller. Ooh. Um, so it combines a little bit of everything in terms of the supernatural. Um, I also write children's series, so small children fiction. And I write poetry. And then I write mm. a bunch of uh, just like short papers on different topics. I do a lot of speaking engagements in addition to the daytime job. Wow. So you are, you're prolific and busy. Those are two Very things busy. that every author can claim to be. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what every author wants to be. So um, what got you started writing? When did you start? When did you begin? Let's go back in time. Let's see. Going back in time, I would say growing up in Hawaii, I was about nine years old in the fourth grade. And I would always tell stories. And my parents encouraged it and I had a, a language arts teacher um, in the fourth grade that just encouraged me to take the stories that I would verbally tell and put it down on paper. And so from there, it just started with the storytelling, the poetry, you name it. And I just loved writing. Very, very cool. So what was your first actual published work? Like, besides in the classroom, what was your first? <laughs> Your or your first published work, probably with the newspapers in Hawaii. They had like a usually like a little column for young writers, and you could submit poetry and those and short stories. And I just started that with the help of a teacher. Did Did you start out with poetry being like the first thing you ever tried writing, or did you actually like write full like story stories, like full length, full length stories? And then poetry was just a way she encouraged to get my feelings across because mm. I was a shy child. Wow. No authors are shy anymore. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> author has to talk in public. Um, so when did you publish your first book, like your first novel or children's book? 
Uh, that would probably be with the Blood Prophecy uh, 1, Queen's Destiny. And around that time, I also published uh, the children's series, um, Arthur and Merlin. Ooh. Oh. Okay. Little Arthur, actually. Merlin's story. Um, so the Blood Prophecy, um, let's talk about how that came into being. Where did you come up with it? What made you, like, what was the inspiration behind the Blood Prophecy? I want to say blood as, as many dream. times as I can in this paragraph. So blood, 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 blood. Blood Prophecy. <laughs> it started as a dream. Ooh, and, very um, Stephanie Meyer-ish kind of inspiration. It's kind of weird. It was just, uh, I love reading paranormal, but I just got kind of bored with what was out there. And it's like one night my mind was just overworked and I just went to sleep and it's like I started just dreaming and that kind of formed the storyline of Queen's Destiny. What was the, the image? What was like the image that you dreamt that kind of sparked the whole story? Um, basically it was demons. It wasn't the vampire. Demons. Demons. Demons and Macedonian art. Mm. And it was like, just like, kind of like a prophecy from there. Okay. And from yeah. there emerged the vampire queen. Ooh. As it, as it should. Just <laughs> as it should. Vampire queens. How long, okay, so you, you have this dream, and then you're like, I've got to get this out. How long did it take you to write the first one? The first one, probably about four to six months. Wow. And how many, like, how many words do you think that first draft, like, um, that very first draft, like, how many words was it? It was over 80,000. Oh, wow. That's pretty good, because sometimes people tend to, like, undercut their first draft. At least, I, I only speak for myself, because <laughs> I always feel like my first drafts are, like, very bare bones, and then I have to go back and, like, add, like, the meat to it. Like, I feel like my first drafts are, like, 60,000. So that's actually pretty great that you are able to write a pretty great, hefty draft. It's very wordy and verbose, because I like to describe things. And mm -hmm. the one thing about the series that stands out is it kind of jumps in time. So it goes through past historical events that somehow relate to a current character and the prophecy. So it kind of unites the past and the present and then looking towards the future. That sounds like research. It is. So how much research? I was like, you know, for somebody who writes modern day, I'm like, that sounds like a lot of research. So how much research did you do for the book? A lot for all of the books. I, I love to research. Um, so it's like one of my hobbies is also researching the family tree. And oh. so just love research. I'm just one of those weirdos. I just go on the internet and just love to look things up and love to find books and all sorts of stuff. Is there like a specific uh, time period that you just love uh, reading or researching about? Um, I, it kind of varies. It depends on the topic. So like um, European history, I love pretty much anything with King Arthur or uh, King Henry VIII and the seventh. Mm. They don't give the seventh a lot of attention, but I love to read about him. Um, I love well, Russian history. he didn't history. kill nearly as many people as the eighth. So <laughs> <laughs> he's not a sensationalist. I don't know. The War of the Roses was still a pretty interesting time period because... 
Uh, I mean, did you ever watch like White Princess and the White yes. Queen and all that? Like, ah, uh, like I'm obsessed. And it actually, I agree with you. They don't give enough attention to, you know, uh, King Henry VIII's father and everything like that. So those shows were great to kind of highlight those time periods because a lot of bad things happened. A lot of craziness. Oh, yeah. Well, and they don't realize that a lot of it is um, the financial, the way he spent his money for King Henry VII. He was very frugal. Mm-hmm. Unlike, you know, King Henry VIII was more lavish. Mm-hmm. But they don't pay attention. Like, you know, a lot of their, you know, their revenue and their profit started with how King Henry VII was very frugal. And he wanted to, you know, basically take Europe to the next step. And then King Henry VIII ruined all of that. <laughs> they just like beheaded them. He's like, and we're done with that. Moving on. So um, when you went to write, you said that you were kind of getting over the way a lot of the paranormal and stuff was written. So you, you go to write a vampire book, which, you know, is sort of the, the paranormal. A lot of the series and stuff have, how did you approach it differently so that you didn't have sparkly vampires, for instance? I basically looked at the way they really truly are. You know, they are supposed to be vicious and carnal. And so when I described like a vampire attack, I would really kind of pour it out there, like the ripping of the flesh and the shredding and the bloodletting. And, you know, same thing like with werewolves, you, you have the claws, you have fangs. It's witches have power, you know, they can control the elements. So I brought out their true nature you know, and didn't get into the whole sparkly thing or walk in daylight thing. <laughs> no, I, like I Anne think Rice, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's amazing because I think when you're writing um, on a topic, well, one, you've done a lot of research, which is phenomenal. And I think it's really important for authors to know how important research is. Valerie, one of the authors that works with us, like you, loves to research. Mm-hmm. Right? He loves it. But I think a, a, not a lot of authors um, do enough research when they're talking about something that actually legitimately happened. If you're making up your own world, that's fine. But if you're talking about something that legitimately happened in the past, you should probably look up some facts, you know, on more than Wikipedia. Not that Wikipedia oh, exactly. is bad, but on what happened. Oh, yeah. That's why it's like um, if I bring in legends or I bring in stories about gods or, you know, what have you, I'll get out the necessary books. I'll go to the bookstores. I'll go wherever I need to go. Like, uh, for example, Blood Prophecy 4, the fourth book that I'm going to, I'm writing, you know, that's taking the group from Seattle to Hawaii. And I'm going to be bringing in like the Hawaiian legends and me being part Hawaiian. I have that at my disposal on top of, I use books like Edith, Edith Hamilton wrote a book about mythology. She wrote several of them. And so I'll use that to talk about gods and different periods or I'll use, um, you know, books on the World Atlas and world history events and things like that. Very oh, wow. cool. So let's talk about um, your characters a little yeah. bit. Okay. What, um, who's your favorite character of your characters, by the way? I like them all. <laughs> but I would probably say as I've written them, um, it's kind of changed from at first when I wrote it, 
in the beginning, I really loved Amber. She's the vampire queen. She has a little bit of everything in her bloodline to make her the queen and to unite all the races. But as the series kind of morphed on, I began to like Zeraquel, who is the avenging angel, the daughter of a of, of vampire and a witch. And she was used, um, you know, just to kind of bring in together and tie in the prophecy. So she became one of my favorites as I wrote Queen's Extension, which is the third book. But now that I'm writing the fourth book, it's like it's changing again. So it's hard to say if I have an absolute favorite, but as of right now, I would say it's probably Zeraquel because of the powers that she's developed and the powers that I'm going to give her in the next set of books. See, I love, whenever I have a character that is snarky, those always tend to be like my favorite because then you can get like really creative with like their dialogue. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I is, did any of them have like really specific personality quirks and you're like, oh, this is the best? Probably, um, they all have a little bit of snarkiness. Mm -hmm. um, Zeraquel, as of right now in the series, she is a teenager. Mm. And so you have the teenager woes, you know, there's the, the love, there's the anger, I hate my parents mood. And it's Ugh. like, she wants to dive into magic and she wants to blow things up. She wants to rescue her friends. So it's a little bit of everything from a teenager's point of view, um, but she definitely has an attitude. A little bit of snarkiness. Um, Chloe, she is one of the witches, and she is the most powerful witch in the world. And she has a lot of snarkiness and a basically, you know, a no shit, I don't care attitude. <laughs> She'll do I what it I takes. I like her the best. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever find that, you know, what's interesting is, um, as writers, we, we get to create and um, uh, create and change our characters, but are there any characters for you that are hard to write? There was one, and just because I didn't know where I wanted to take him. And unfortunately, he is one of the main characters because he is Michael, and he is the love of Amber, and he has a dark past and he wants to do good. So it was hard to figure out where I wanted to take him. And sadly, he had a different destination in mind in book three. <laughs> <laughs> so your characters, um, are, would you consider that you end up with, okay, nope, I'm gonna start at the first question I should ask there. Yay, four shots of ginger whiskey. Um, when you go to write, how, are you a plotter? How do you write? Like, let's start with, you're going to write book four. How does it begin? I just sit and write. Ugh. I cannot outline. I I'm, in th I'm in awe of all you pantsers out there. Erica, I you're, know you're one of them. I can't, I can't go fully unscripted. <laughs> but you know what the funny part is? I will write anywhere a thought comes to mind. So, and I've had this, like, through other interviews and everything. I have written on a date before. <laughs> was a date that bad? <laughs> no, he was just like, you're doing what? I'm like, do you have paper and pen on you? And he's like, no. And I'm like, don't worry, I'll be right back. I ran out to my car, got my laptop, moved the Play-Doh <laughs> right there in the restaurant. That's awesome. <laughs> oh my God, you have to appreciate it. So this is my entire outline for my next book right there. It's right on uh, this one. 
page. It um it drives Vanessa and the yeah everybody else is like a a plotter or a planter, and I'm like, look, I I wrote the title and some stuff down, and then I'm going to write the entire book based on that notepad right there. I mean, I've done notes on napkins. Don't don't get me wrong. There have been moments where I, I mean napkins. I remember like like way back when I was in college, I was a server and. Like I would in between like taking orders, I would have like slips of paper and I would write dialogue and people were like, what the heck are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm just hiding <laughs> between the bills. Yeah. Oh, I've done that. <laughs> I've even done it like while at the gym. I could be working out at the gym and I'm like, oh, you know what? Got to stop the set. And everybody looks at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm writing. True dedication to the craft. I do a lot of voice memos. Not that they make sense, but there's a ton of voice memos in my oh, phone. Oh, yeah, I do that, too. I'm hey, actually no apps on the iPhone I'm afraid if somebody yes. ever does an investigation on me and, like, pulls the voice memos from my phone. Because I'm like, figure out how long it would take a body to decompose outside and blah, blah. <laughs> Hopefully I'll never be linked to a murder. That would be terrible. <laughs> so... You um you you pants it, which is amazing. How long does it take you like to write? Um, if you if you have time, how much can you get done like in a couple hours, or do you do you just dedicate an X amount of time? Or I tend to be very structured with my schedule, but I usually dedicate about one to two hours a night to just writing, and I'll see how long that takes me. So sometimes I can get a chapter done. Sometimes I can get several done. It all depends on how fast it just flows. Do you, like, when you do those sessions, because everyone's kind of different, like, do you find success as saying, okay, I spent two hours in some format working on writing? Or do you say it's not a successful session unless I have, X, like, a certain word count? Or how do you measure your progress to help make sure that you're staying motivated and pushing forward? As long as I can guarantee, like, I've written, you know, several significant scenes um, to take the books forward, then to me, that's successful. Because mm. sometimes I'll start to write, and then I'll go back, and I was like, okay, let's add some more, change it, and, you know, I don't worry about that too much. But as long as I've gotten a couple of scenes in, that tells me I'm successful. Because sometimes yeah. my scenes can go pretty lengthy, depending upon what part or what is going on in that scene especially the fight scenes. So going back, when did, when did you go, you know what, I'm going to publish a book. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to publish books or stuff because a lot of people write and some people do different things and come into and out of wanting to do it. But when did you go, that's it, I'm doing it? Probably when I just realized, you know, growing up, I was like, I always have this bucket list of things I want to do. And um, it was one of those things. I wanted to be an author of a series that people would just like, and it would be different. And it was on the bucket list. So it's like, and you check, check. check. Do, are awesome. you traditionally published, self-published? How are you published? I am published with World Castle uh, okay. with Aaron Fuller. And um, I love them. They are great. That is, that is awesome to hear because 99% of the time, that is not what people are saying about the <laughs> publisher. So. I think it's, it, it, it depends on personalities. You've got to make sure it's a good fit. Um, but you also got to look at it as, can you relate to them? 
So like, for example, with Karen and she owns World Castle, it's like we're even Facebook friends, you know, she's friends with the authors. She's dedicated to their success. Yeah, you know, I think that also that. depends on your, like, if your vision of how, like, you want to visualize your career matches up with what they're offering, too. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be with, you know, no matter which route you go to, you have to make sure your your goals align with the method that you're trying to accomplish those goals. Because if not, it's just like any working relationship, you know, if you don't, if you guys aren't on the same page, and you're going to have that conflict. Yeah. And that's awesome that you have such a you know an amazing relationship with your publisher yeah I mean I think she's great I've seen some out there that I was like you know 10 feet away no (laughs) but you know with her it's just been very easy it's very very nice she's always helpful you name it very cool no we love hearing that because again not often do we hear it so you get published and then um what was that journey like for you? How long did it take you from when you were like, here's the book to actually getting the first one out the door? Um, it depends on her editing schedule. So, you know, like for example, I just submitted to her um, a while, a little bit ago, actually, um, pretty much right after Queen's Extension was released. I had just submitted um, another novella of one of the characters in the series. So that's in queue to be edited and editing doesn't take very long. And then I have an amazing um, designer who does all my covers. So it's not like a pre-made cover, but he does the artwork. Um, Do you do like feedback? Like, do you give them like an idea of what you're looking for? Do they take your, wow, not many people are lucky. Yeah. With Steven, it's, it's like, it's like a perfect relationship. I describe to him what the story is about and I just let him go. And um, mm. if you've seen like the cover for um, Queen's Extension, it's that's like his most phenomenal work out of all of it's my covers. Beautiful! It, it is absolutely beautiful. So, do you did you have an idea in mind on how long you wanted this series to go, or did you just go? I'm going to write a series. I did, um, and that's the shocker to everybody. It was going to end with Queen's Ascension because I thought it just brought everything full circle right but listening to the fans and I get a lot of emails from the fans and some of them even like personally Facebook me on uh, like they find me on Facebook for example on my personal page and not the book page and so I'll accept it and I'll talk to them I mean I've had so many wish me a happy birthday in September and they were just like I don't want the series to end and I just listened to them I'm like well you know what Maybe it won't end. So I came up with the next trilogy set, which is book four, five, and six. Oh, that's great. I think it's funny you bring that up in a way because this is something I talk about as, as writers. You know, you can get driven by the fans. Sometimes you can get driven by the production company. Like, uh, I talked to a writer um, recently, and she wrote a true life um, she was a CIA agent, ex-CIA agent, and she wrote a true life book about um, extraction from Libya during a conflict, right? And she was like, I'm going to write dystopian young adult books. And her agent was like, no, you're going to write spy novels. Like, <laughs> because that's what he was like, you need to write Strong female-led spy novels is what our agent said. And it's not that she was, like, disheartened by it. But I thought it, I think it's interesting because you can go, you know what, this is a trilogy and I love this. And then the fans can come back and go, I need more. You need to give me more of this. 
or your publishing company can go, I want to have more of this situation because it sells well. Mm -hmm. And then there's a point where you as an author have to go, yes, I feel like I can create this or now I'm just doing it like a job because it's there. Yeah. Well, I guess what like I had to correct anything because of potentially ending it in book three when you went into book four. No, it's just going to pick up because the battle between good and evil will never end in the world. So I found a way to kind of keep it going because the battle will never end. And there's actually going to be um, in the storyline, it talks about three specific battles. So there was a battle in the beginning of time and the current battle, which is the blood prophecy series took one, two and three. And then there's going to be a third final battle that nobody what happens when the fans ask for book seven though. I think I'm going to have to change and make a spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare for the spinoff. Yeah, I think it's like, do you feel like as much as you want to please your fans, you also want to make sure whatever you're creating in itself is a strong story yeah. idea, right? So you're definitely in the, like, where, how do you feel about that? Making sure you're not only catering in a sense to your fans, but you also want to make sure you're producing quality work because then you get situations where you're pumping out books and, you know, and sometimes you'll see like, why do they continue the story? It doesn't feel as strong as the original thing that you fell in love with. So do you feel like you have to have a really good strong grip on the next story before you commit to something else in that same I already, world? I already do where four, five, and six will go. And mm -hmm. then that'll be the end. Okay. And then hopefully then I will turn my attention to another series I want to start, which is more about Scotland. Ooh, Ooh. I like that. What, what kind of story in Scotland? <laughs> you can't go wrong with Scotland. There are kilts in Scotland. I am intrigued. <laughs> Basically just more of like a historical fiction. Oh, okay. So this will be like brand new or within? Brand new. Brand. Ooh, okay. That and then I'm also toying with the idea of kind of a King Henry series, but more with Anna Cleves. Ooh. Because yeah. not a lot is done about Anna Cleves. No. I think the only time I ever really knew anything about her was like the brief moment she was on the, like, if you watch the Tudors. <laughs> yeah like and, and it and like you felt so bad for her because he was so mean and you're just like she needs, was, she needs some love well he like, was mean to her because he wasn't attracted to her but the funny part is he out of all the women she was one of them that he had the most respect for that's why they named her the king's sister the highest regard they could possibly give a woman who was married mm -hmm. to him and that's why they favored her as the king's sister mm-hmm Wow. Yeah, someone needs someone needs to write her love story. Like, even though it's not historically accurate, someone needs to like give her a happy ending. Well, because you know, they do have speculations, and you know, according to a lot of the history documents that you can find in Europe, you know, there was speculation that maybe they had a secret child. Ooh. Do we all feel where this is going? Dun dun. dun. <laughs> This is what you're going to do, because <laughs> I would read that in a heartbeat. Like, Vanessa's writing, follow up with Barb to yes, see where she goes. I'm going to stalk you now. <laughs> I'll be like, where's this book? Yeah. <laughs> 
Very cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Drinking With Authors. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And we're back. Okay. Back with beer. I love this. Back with beer. You gotta tell us, what are you drinking? What are you drinking now? Belgian White Blue Moon. I love Blue Moon. I love Blue Moon mainly because I can um, put oranges in it, too. I'm a big fan of putting accoutrements in um, my beer. (laughs) It's ridiculousness. Okay, so um, let's talk about your children's series for a minute because that's different. So um, you have a King Arthur. So tell us about your children's series. Well... My son is 15 now, but when he was five, he loved kings, queens, and knights like any typical five-year-old little boy. And his sister is four years older. And she was already reading, you know, the Camelot series and the big, thick Arthur books. And he was so disheartened being a little kindergartner. He was like, I want to read King Arthur, but it's so big and too many words. So I said, give me a few minutes. And um, I got on the phone with a friend who did the illustrations for the books. And um, I came up with Little Arthur and Merlin the Magnificent. Oh. And King Arthur and um, Merlin are actually five-year-old little boys. So the first book, they meet the baby dragon, and they named him Pendragon. So it's like a preschool kindergarten way of introducing King Arthur and the characters. And then like the second book, for example, Meet the Knights, has a bunch of little boys playing and Arthur and Merlin want to join them. And through one of the father's nights, they learned to made a round table and they became friends. And that's an introduction to the knights. So it kind of, it, it's a very innocent way of introducing preschoolers to King Arthur and Merlin. In kind of like a digestible way where it just makes sense, but you kind of, you kind of, yeah, and you make it your own, but it's a way for them to kind of understand the different elements that make correct. That make, and the that's character. awesome. Yeah, I didn't get it, you know, so it, it, that's that series. And he just fell in love with it. And actually, um, my friend made uh, little Arthur kind of from a picture of my son, Caden, that I sent him. And I said, okay, so then, you know, when you got to meet, you know, Guinevere and everything, got to make the little girl. So here's my daughter's picture. Oh, <laughs> this is so cute. So how many books in that series now? Pardon? How many books in that uh, series? That one has two, because mm-hmm. I tied it up all in two for them to introduce the whole characters. And then, um, but I do a lot of, like, the daycares, I'll do a lot of preschool readings with it. And the kids just seem to love it. Oh, I would think so. Totally. Who doesn't want to be a hero knight and or a magician? <laughs> I love the um, Arthur. Oh my God. I almost said author. Whatever. Okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Drinking. Okay. So. You need another drink. <laughs> I do not think that's a good idea. Just kidding. Okay. So let's talk a little bit when you're, when you're writing process, do you, you write anywhere, which I love. 
Um, do you like having music? Do you like having the noise around you when you write in different things? Is it helpful or? Um, if I'm sitting in my office or, you know, something, I'll listen to Nickelback or something or Metallica. Um, do I need the noise all the time? No, but sometimes it helps because it's like the energy you get from music kind of just helps me just keep on going. Do like you have a button. playlist? A lot of authors now are doing playlists and then posting their playlists on like Spotify and stuff like that for their books. Do you do that? Um, I don't necessarily have a playlist. I'll just listen to Nickelback most of the time. Oh. Wow. I don't think a lot of authors, I don't know any authors who ever told me they listened to Nickelback. Normally that's, that is an ongoing joke about Nickelback, but do you, is it the motivation because they're very wrapped up? Probably that and one of my favorite bands. Um, the other one I'll listen to is probably like, uh, I'll listen to Mindless Self-Indulgence. Yeah, I listen to a lot of that trailer, trailer music because mm -hmm. that really, especially when you're, I mean, I like write a lot of fantasy, so it's a great way to kind of get into the mood into, especially battle scenes. So mm -hmm. I always find those tend to be like my favorite go-to songs is yeah. anything like, um, like uh, Two Steps from Hell, Thomas Bergerson, you know, just to name like a couple. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's awesome that you have like a go-to band yep. that you like. That is very cool. Now let's talk about author community. Wow, I'm going to give this very carbonated <laughs> beverage so many points today in locking me into drug pill. Yay! So, author kill. I probably put too much whiskey in this. Okay. Author friends, like author community. Do you have a group of writing friends? Do you have anybody like that that you... Um, I will talk periodically with different ones, but not necessarily where I'll hang out and like toss ideas back and forth i kind of just to me my writing is a little bit more personal while i just sit there and just do it anywhere like i said i'll do it on dates even and but it's just um i don't really get out like in an author community say i belong to this or go to a writing workshop have you done any of those um i've done a couple and just realized they weren't really me hmm. I what just, about beta readers? Do you have a group of beta readers? I do. I have an assistant. She's amazing, Jessica. And um, she is. I've on. interacted with her to get you on this show. So <laughs> she was amazing. Hail to Jessica. Okay. No, she is great. Um, she, you know, basically she sets up, you know, we'll put out like, you know, for Queen's Extension, for example, I wanted a group of, you know, beta arc readers. And you know, so she worked with them, gave them the advanced copies. Um, and as a thank you, you know, they each got invited to spend like 30 minutes with me via Zoom or some type of, you know, however they wanted to. And um, in addition to that, they also got a signed paperback. Oh, that's such a great way to give back to them for helping you out. It, like, exactly. And it's like, like, and one of them lives um, probably about 40 minutes away from me. Um, she lives in Bradenton. And we just met for coffee at the bookstore. I gave her her bunches of surprises and stuff. So I hang out with her once in a while. Um, she's probably one of my biggest fans. You're in uh, Florida? Yeah. We're so in Florida. Clearwater <laughs> and Tampa, respectively. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> we could hang out. We'll have to do this in person when COVID is over. Oh, that'll be fun. When the next book comes out, we will have to do this in person. Oh, yes. 
And as a person who uses beta readers, like what kind of uh, feedback do they normally give you? Like how in depth do they normally go? Are they doing like maybe broad strokes or do you find like certain people do certain things that really well, like, you know, that this particular beta reader will find this and this one will find something else. Um, Jessica's good about finding a variety. So some were a little bit more detailed, um, what they were hoping to see or what they would like to see. And some were kind of like, you know, just kind of very high level, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it all varied, which is all the different perspectives I want. I don't want, you know, the same level of feel. I want the different perspectives because audiences are always different. No, that makes sense. Let's talk about reviews for a little bit. Um, Do you read your reviews? Um, yes and no. Sometimes I just don't. I I think that's a perfectly fine answer. Most, you know, a lot of the times I just don't pay attention to them. I'm very busy. (laughs) I I think that's always a good thing. You don't, the, the reviews as the consensus is reviews are not for authors. They're for readers. Yeah. We should just not let that deter us from what our goal is as an author. Correct. I don't know, at least that's how I feel. <laughs> no, and, and that's, a, that's exactly a valid point. It's, um, I think it's made for like other people who want to like buy the book or buy the series or, you know, sit there and do that. And, you know, one of the reasons why I don't really read my reviews is probably because um, you hear a lot of the snarkiness people have, um, you know, they say, oh, this person gave me a bad review. Well, it's their opinion. You can't fault somebody for their opinion. And not every book is going to please everybody. So I just, I stay away from all that negativity. So like, you know, with Facebook, for example, they have all the author groups you could be part of. And I'll just get to know other authors because it helps me find a book or something to read, or it helps me, you know, point my daughter. if She says, I need a book to read and I can't find one. Um, You know, so I'll use those tools. But it's like when I start seeing and reading, you know, the different authors are complaining about the reviews they're getting. And it's like I bring it into a different perspective. I'm like, you can't please everybody. And not everybody wants to read your style of writing. You know, and they're looking at me like, well, that's not the point. I said, it is the point. It's an opinion. You cannot fault somebody for their opinion. I completely agree with you. Even like, I mean, like a great way to test that is your favorite book, right? Mm-hmm. I, you're, you can go on Goodreads, research your favorite book that you're just obsessed with, and there's plenty of people who dislike it, and they oh, yeah. will go X, Y, Z, you know, give you the whole list, and it goes to show that we are all different, and I think at the end of the day, as much as we write for the readers, you can't, like, fully write in a vacuum. At some mm-hmm. level, you have to write for your audience, but at the end of the day, you need to write what you are passionate about, because at the end of the day, you have to be happy with what you put out. And, and then let the readers do with it, you know, as they please, you know, it is, they're going to like it or they're not. And it's just how it is. Oh, exactly. Everybody has different tastes. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Do you review books yourself? Will you write yes. reviews? Yes, I do. Will you write negative reviews? I don't like to write them, but sometimes I've picked up a couple books where like, for example, there was maybe too many spelling mistakes or something, but I will be constructive in my feedback. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's important because when I, when I talk about reviews, I think, you know, ignoring that, I, a friend, let me go back. 
a friend of mine wrote a great blog article about writing reviews. Mm -hmm. And he talked about, he's an author, he's actually a co-author with me on a series, but he wrote about how to write a constructive review, because just saying you liked it or you didn't like it is actually not helpful mm -hmm. for the author on, or even a reader on whether or not the book was good. It's like, what did you like about it or what didn't you like about it? Mm -hmm. When I look at reviews, I go, are they talking about spelling or grammar errors or anything like that that push the reader out of the story? Because yeah. I don't want to read those books. I don't have the time to read a book if the person didn't take the time to get it edited and fixed. Because self-publishing is amazing, but the side effect of self-publishing is there is nobody watching your crap. So you can put it up there, and it can be just horrible, and I don't have the time to go through somebody's crap that they didn't take the time to make digestible for a reader. Oh, exactly. I don't have time to pull out my red pen and start scribbling. <laughs> I would even say the same about traditionally published. Like, because I think you have to be, when you're looking at reviews as a reader, like if you're going to potentially read a book, you need to decide, okay, is this review based off someone's taste or if it's like actual problematic things in a book? You know, mm -hmm. does this author write problematic content that's, you know, can be, you know, uh, I don't want to say like race, you know, it can be racist or anything like that. Like there's a difference. If that, I wouldn't, I don't want to read something that comes off in any of those things. But if it's just a personal preference, you have to kind of decide, you know, what kind of review it is to determine, uh, at least for me, what I want to read. Because that makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. I also like looking at reviewers to see what other reviews they do. Well, stock reviewers sometimes, and not on my books, because I actually, I find a lot of humor in anybody who um, says something that's not, you know, I love the reviewers that are like, I love this book. I love the reviewers that say my book meant something and it, you know, for them and they quote it. But when they say it pissed them off or whatever, because my, you know, horror stories don't have happy endings, so I have pissed off readers, but... I always go, but you bought my book, so thank you for supporting my writing habit. I appreciate you. <laughs> you. You gave me some money, so I'm good with that. You can, you know, be whatever. Because I think um, if I look for, will I be happy with the end result of the book based on the review? But I do that with anything. Like, I review all the products that I buy on Amazon, too, to say mm -hmm. whether I liked them or didn't. And when they ask me the questions, like, you know, you get those, can you answer oh, yes. this I always answer the questions if I can answer the question because I go, that's helpful. And somebody's taking their time to try to figure out if this product or this thing will work for them. Right. Oh, yeah. So I think that's useful, but just, you know, you're right. You might not have your audience and that person's gone out of their way to write a review. And I go, do they always give two star reviews to everything? Yes, they do. Okay, cool. They are just a troll. <laughs> Have you been, just never satisfied with anything. <laughs> besides meeting your beta reader, do you, have you met a lot of your fans in person? Um, quite a few, actually. Um, it was funny because I went a couple years ago up to Savannah around Halloween. And um, the tour guide that I had for one of the nighttime ghost tours, um, he was a fan. He goes, wait a minute, I know you. And I'm like, how do you know me? Never been to Savannah before. <laughs> Creepy, creepy thing sinks in. <laughs> I got my shoe and I'm chasing with it. And he was like, no, no, no. He goes, I'm reading your books. 
And he goes, wait right here. I'm like, you're in the middle of a tour. He goes, well, not everybody's here yet. So we got a few minutes. I got to run to my car. And he brought out the book and he's like, I need you to sign this. And I even took a picture with him. Um, so it's a, even on the Blood Prophecy page, I've met like my fans. But it's like sometimes wherever I go, I think just they just realized. Oh, I think awesome. that's awesome. That's that's what I call a fangirl moment, even though he's a boy. Fangirl moment when you have somebody who's read and mm -hmm. brings up your stuff. Do you have – this is interesting to me. Um, when you're writing a series, I know for me, I go back and I reread the previous book so that I remember every because I don't remember everything from the book that I wrote. Do you – how do you approach this? You're going into book four. How do you approach remembering what you wrote from the previous books? Um, I jot down the main points um, when I'm done so I can – so when I'm – when I start, I at least do that. Um, but once in a while, I'll skim through um, the different books as well. Um, you know, one of the skills that I learned coming into my freshman year in high school, um, they taught us for that summer was speed reading. And believe me, it pays off even today. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I found like fans will bring up parts to me that <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember that. Like this part, and they're like, oh my God, remember? That? And I'm like, yeah, no, that was great. And I'm thinking, what the fuck are they talking about? And I'll go back to the book. Like, oh, I did write that. Okay, cool. I have like a very extensive Bible for mine. So, because I write epic fantasy, so you have to have like extensive notes, like yep. character profiles. And I, what I generally do, because I have. It as a four book series and I try to write little synopses for each character kind of doing an overview of what happened for them so mine tend to be like really really extensive notes but is, do you have anything that kind of looks like that or do you just only a small little bullet points I have a synopsis for each book including the novellas and then um, with a lot of the book interviews that I have given a lot of the hosts want like character interviews and so I'll use the character interviews as like a cheat sheet to that character. Ooh. Character interviews. Vanessa, we need to start doing character interviews. So one of the, the, the last uh, book tours I had done just recently was a character interview. So I brought out two of the characters, Zeroquel and Ray, and they're teenagers. So throughout their interview, they were like, you could see the snarky attitude the teenager would have. <laughs> I have never heard of this. This is re like, I I kind of wonder what some of my characters would interview like. Some of them would not. Be it, it it was entertaining. I I I guess that would get you to think about it slightly differently if they're posed certain questions, right? Yeah, and it's like a lot of the questions I got for the different characters weren't even based on the book, so I got I, to really think about what the character would do outside of. The book. Uh, yeah, I've seen this. Like sometimes it'd be like, okay, sort your characters into a Hogwarts house, or if they were on social media, which platform would they choose? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Like which one would they they mm -hmm. would like the most? Just funky. But yeah, I think that is a really cool way to also get to know your characters. If like let's say you're starting out, because mm -hmm. I've heard of people saying, put your characters in a room, and what how would they interact with each other, or like. 
put them in a bar and who would start a fight, who would try to stop it, who would try to do this. Like it's it's actually like a really cool fun way to see what your characters do. And it is a great way to kind of like brainstorm. I don't know, that that kind of just sparked an idea. Oh yeah, no, it does. And it's like for the male vampires in the series, it was like one of the questions would be like, well, if you weren't with Amber, what kind of girl do you want? You know, of course, that's the, the, the hanging question, but... Um. I was going to say, you that and your fans are going to be like, um, can you put me down? Can you put me down the list? <laughs> you know? Funny responses to it. And some of my fans would pick it up like, oh my god, you're describing me! <laughs> <laughs> Have you written any of your friends, or maybe not friends, into your stories? That's the funniest part. Um, there's a little bit of all of my friends in the characters. Mm-hmm. That The good and the bad. They just don't know which part. So it's like a lot of my friends from college or high school, they would be like, that sounds like something we had done in high school. And I'm like, you think so? I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend of mine do that to me. She wrote me into a story, and I was reading this story, and I beta read the story, and I don't know why I didn't catch it, but I read this story, um, and then I'm like, wait a minute, is is this character me? And, it, and she's like, yeah. And I'm like, this character is a total bitch. And she's like, yeah. And then she wrote me, it's a three-part series, I'm in the entire, and I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Nothing. I love it because when people are like, where did you get the inspiration for this character? She's I like, feel like, I know who what you're talking about. It, it, it's it's Lyra. Huh? It's Lyra. And um, I just, okay, because I edited that one book and I was like, gosh, she's telling everyone exactly what's on her mind. I was like, this sounds like Eric. <laughs> yep. There you go. There you go. I can't wait. I can't wait till that series is super famous and then I get called out because it's awesome. (laughs) Did you put yourself in your book at all, Barb? No. No? No. No? Have you ever put yourself in any stories? No. No? You're like, and that's never going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of like, it's really weird. When it comes to my professional life, I work in IT. And when it comes into my professional life, I'm not shy. But in my personal life, I'm more like shy, don't, please don't talk about me kind of thing. <laughs> you do such a good job of shameless self-promotion, though. I can't even imagine that. It's just, I don't know, it's just one of those things. I'm more, my personality is more about, like, I pay more attention to others. You know, I care about others a lot. And... You know, and that, and that reflects in some of the things that I do as a hobby or time commitments and things like that. So it's hard for me to, you know, sit there and say, okay, let's write me in this story. Because, you know, then I'd be like, how am I going to really write me objectively? I can't. You do, here's the cool thing. You're an author. You don't have to write yourself objectively. You can write whatever great version of yourself that you see. Well, do you ever feel like a component, like maybe a component of you is in some of your characters? Like, let's say if a character loves crocheting, right? And it's something that you personally do. Like, do you ever feel like you put little, little bits of yourself into any of your characters? A component probably. And that's, that's where the perseverance comes in. 
Mm -hmm. So I have a, I don't give up attitude. Um, I will try and try and I don't give up. And that's just something my parents raised me with growing up because of the childhood I had. And so that is in all of my characters, that sense mm -hmm. of never giving up and honor and purpose. That's awesome. That's very awesome. Yeah, I was, okay. I was raised with the, the motto of like honor, integrity, respect, trust, and perseverance. Oh, that's very, that, no, I think that's amazing. Um, what advice would you give young authors? We're coming near the end of the episode. So what advice would you give, not young, I shouldn't say young. This is not an age-based thing. <laughs> what advice? Look, I even thought of that, Vanessa. You should be impressed because I'm almost done with my alcohol. So what advice would you give authors out there? Um, I have a motto that I just tell everybody. Put pen to paper. Just write. Put pen to paper. Doesn't matter what it is. Just put pen to paper. It's a skill you need in life, but it's also it's a good emotional outlet. Agreed. So just, just don't give up. Very cool. Okay. Shameless self-promotion. How do people find you? Oh, uh, through social media. You have the Instagram, the Twitter, Facebook, um, email, website. And the website address is? www.thebloodprophecy.com. Awesome. Awesome. And what is the name of book four that's coming out? Rise of the Hunter. Ooh. Rise of the Hunter. I love it. Okay. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. It has been really amazing. Thank you. Okay. So this has been Drinking with Authors. I'm Erica Lance. I'm Vanessa Valiente. We'll see you next Our time. Film.